Hello everyone and welcome back to the Movie Dicks Podcast. I am Gabriel Chavez. And I am Paul Schindel. Today we trample upon the eight-legged freak that is arachnophobia. But first, this is a comedy podcast. If you have not seen the movie we are about to shit on and you want to avoid spoilers, stop now. But if you don't care about spoilers and want to laugh and learn why this movie sucks so bad, strap on the chemical tank and let's rock and roll. Without further ado, let's hand it over to Pablo Francisco. A species of South American killer spider hitches a lift to the U.S. in a coffin and starts to breed and kill. I should have pulled off the VHS, like, release (laughs) fucking version of that because this is sort of like Under Siege 2 where I need, like, the quality VHS tape version (laughs) of this. But anyway, if you don't know, this is a Hollywood Pictures release, two for two with Deep Rising here, and three for three if you want to count the uncredited Hollywood Pictures releasing of Resident Evil. This movie is also produced through Amblin Entertainment and uncredited through Tangled Web Productions and Warm Weather International Group of Venezuela. So Paul, I'm sure that you knew that this was Amblin, maybe you knew that this was Amblin, but... yeah. Well, yeah, it's in the front of the movie, right? Yeah. Is it in the front of the movie? I thought it was I just Hollywood know. Pictures. I All think right. Amblin's at the end. But anyway, it's interesting because Frank Marshall was like Steven Spielberg's like producing assistant or something like that for like years. And you can kind of yep. see some overlaps, you know, here with him. And then, uh-huh. of course, you know, Frank Marshall and uh, Kathleen Kennedy went on in order to produce a lot of Steven Spielberg's movies along with, you know, starting their own Kennedy Marshall group that did Star Wars and all that other shit, all the new Star yeah. Wars movies and so on. So it's kind of uh, interesting. Frank Marshall do like a lot of uh, second unit direction for a bunch of Spielberg movies too. Not yeah. that I know of. He, mm-hmm. Usually usually Spielberg works with one of two guys. One of them is this guy with the last name of Otero. I don't remember his first name. And the other guy is this other guy with the first name of Sergio, which is funny that I remember one first and one last, but I don't remember either one of their names like in full. So <laughs> he always works with like one of two. It could be, though. I, I really don't know. As far as I know, Frank Marshall, when I was looking over his filmography, especially he's done like 84 movies that he's produced and like directed four. So, like, I didn't see any second unit type shit from him. But anyway, Hollywood Pictures, we previously went over in Deep Rising, but I want to reiterate the brilliant Western Tombstone, Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense, Blood In, Blood Out, Gross Point Blank, and Nixon. All are great movies, and I want to concentrate on them for a minute before I have to deal with this fucking movie. (laughs) So, side note, I don't actually know why Hollywood Pictures has a logo that is the Sphinx, being that the Sphinx is in Egypt, and as far as I know, Hollywood is not in <laughs> Egypt, but I digress. Amblin Entertainment, of course, is Spielberg's company. We previously talked about their uncredited involvement with the 2019's worst movie I've ever seen called Cats, but they've actually been credited on a lot of great movies over the years. Obviously, with Spielberg, you have Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List, Catch Me If You Can, Amistad, The Color Purple, Empire of the Sun, E.T., Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, Minority Report, Munich, The Post, AI, as problematic as it is, it is still a great movie, and Jurassic Park. 
all of which I'm putting on the unimpeachable list of great movies. Do not come after these or I will fucking <laughs> cut your face off like Mr. Pickles. Side note, do you watch Mr. Pickles, bro? Yeah, no, man. It's, uh, it's really fucked up, honestly. The killer dog? Yeah, it's <laughs> fucking fantastic, man. Yeah. I love that shit. But before I continue, you may have noticed I didn't have a bunch of Spielberg's movies on this list for Amblin, and that's because Amblin wasn't started until he did E.T., so Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade were all outside of Amblin's reach as they weren't formed yet. Otherwise, I would have put them in this unimpeachable list, except maybe minus Temple of Doom. As much as I like Temple of Doom, like there's a lot of bad shit in that movie. Oh my god! <laughs> Not no, to mention no. the That's fucking one of the racism. Ones. Oh, it's great! It's great! Don't get me wrong, but like it's 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 got a lot of uh, racism is the cornerstone of all Indiana Jones movies. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what's that line from? Uh, it's like that line from The Guard when. Don Cheadle turns to uh, what's his name, Brendan Gleeson. He's just like, uh, apologize for your racist comment. And he's like, I'm Irish. Racism's part of my culture. <laughs> <laughs> Great movies that Spielberg's Amblin produced that weren't his include the Back to the Future trilogy for Buddy Robert Zemeckis, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, also for Zemeckis, Men in Black, Cape Fear, Twister, which is definitely a guilty pleasure of mine as much as I rail on that movie being a piece of shit. It's definitely a fucking guilty pleasure of mine. Gremlins, which is also a guilty pleasure. The Mask of Zorro, once again, another guilty pleasure. Have Get you seen up. Critters, by the way? Yeah, it's dude. Like Critters is adult, great, man. <laughs> the, what is it? The adult version of... Uh... Gremlins, Gremlins, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. good shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. Yeah, you guys should check that out. I just recently <laughs> yeah. came upon that. Oh, have you not seen Critters before? Not until just recently, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a good one. I figured you would have seen that by now. Actually, that's like one of those weird <laughs> movies that I feel like every great movie lover like really ends up seeing at some point, and they're like, oh, my God, you got to check this fucking movie out. <laughs> But they also produced uh, Get On Up with the late, great Chadwick Boseman, The Land Before Time, which is one of my favorite movies as a child, Letters from Iwo Jima, Animaniacs, yes, the TV show, as well as the wonderful, wonderful Jim Sheridan-directed In America. See this fucking movie. It's absolutely brilliant and timely beyond belief. Dehaman Hanu in that movie is fucking incredible. But I digress. They also produced some really awful work, like the Jurassic Park sequels, the Transformers movies, Harry and the fucking Hendersons. I don't know if you remember that <laughs> flick, Paul. <laughs> the fucking Flintstones movies with John Goodman. Yeah, those movies. Small Soldiers, which I really don't like that movie, even though there's a lot there that should be liked. Men in Black 2 and 3 and 4, even though I didn't hate the latter two movies. Casper, The Goonies, which isn't that great. Stop obsessing over this movie. I'm sorry if that what, causes Casper? you to fucking... No, The Goonies. The the, Goonies. Oh, The Goonies. Oh, okay. If yeah. that causes you to lose respect for me and stop listening to this podcast, sayonara, pal, because The Goonies <laughs> is not that great. They also did Hook, uh, Deep Impact, Super 8, Fuck You, J.J. Abrams, <laughs> The Little Rascals, and Deep Impact, a movie so fucking bad it made Armageddon look good by comparison. You know, the book that that's uh, based off of is pretty awesome. It's called Thor's Hammer. It's pretty badass. <laughs> Check out the book. Yeah, It's got cannibals in it. It's pretty oh, awesome. Oh, nice. Why didn't they put that in the movie, dude? Why, why does every post-apocalyptic movie always avoid the cannibalism angle? We'll see... Like, Deep Impact takes like the first third of the book up until the meteor blows up, right? Okay. But the Thor's Hammer book 
takes everything that happens afterwards, uh, which is pretty badass. Okay, so, okay. Check that shit out. It's like The Road, right? When they made The Road into a movie, you know? I was, like, really excited for it. And, like, it's a good movie, but, like, they <laughs> cutting out, like... The guy that was melted into the road and then the fucking <laughs> lightning man walking up the fucking mountain and then cutting out like the whole thing about, you know, cannibalizing babies. It just it felt like they were avoiding these very unsettling images where it's like you're making a fucking post-apocalyptic movie, man, and it's already rated R. You're already going like completely method with Viggo Mortensen and Cody Schmidt McPhee, and you're like, oh, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna cheap out on these little moments that might be a little too much for the audience <laughs> to handle. And I'm like, come on, come on, man, like, come on. It's already pretty disturbing, but I yeah, mean, they do uh, have yeah. that like basement full of people that they were like cutting parts off of in order to eat, and you see yep. those like amputees and shit. So there's yep. a little rendering bit all their fat and stuff. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, fucked up. Yeah, there is. That. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, all right, I'll take it back a little bit, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh tangled web was the producing company during filming and post so obviously this is the only movie that they have done as is the case with warm weather international of venezuela for the venezuelan leg of filming where they actually shot in venezuela and it's beautiful like the beginning and part of this movie is beautiful the rest of it yeah, no, looks like a fucking hallmark movie man <laughs> <laughs> after school special yeah oh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is like a movie of the week, actually, the way they shot it. Yeah. There's not a whole lot yeah. going on here. But there were nine producers to blame for this movie. I'm going to leave Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy, and Frank Marshall out as we have discussed them in prior episodes. So I will concentrate on Robert W. Court, Ted Field, and Richard Vane. Court has produced 54 movies to date, and among them, he has some really decent ones. Revenge of the Nerds 2 holds a special place in my heart, as does Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, as well as Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Great movies, by the way. I cannot speak highly enough. The new one actually isn't that bad. Have I talked to you I about this? I thought it was this? good. Yeah, I no, I don't think we've talked about it. Yeah, I watched it, and I was like, oh, you know, this, uh, this is good. <laughs> I was convinced this that it was going nice. to be a piece of shit, but I really <laughs> liked it. It was like this like soft pillow after like all the bullshit that happened during quarantine. It was just <laughs> yeah. like comfortable and warm and you're like, "Oh, this yeah. is familiar. I like this." Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they also did The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, Jumanji, Mr. Holland's Opus, and On the Basis of Sex, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg biopic with the always excellent Felicity Jones. Rest in peace, Notorious RBG. You were the last hope that America won't completely slip down the fucking drain. And I couldn't be sadder or angrier that you were no longer with us. Anyway, however fucking court has made some unequivocally bad movies with the likes of three men and a baby cocktail with tom cruise class action with john travolta fern gully the last rainforest aka avatar terminal velocity <laughs> Oper- fern gully came first man what are you blaming that's what i'm avatar? saying that's what i'm saying fern gully the the last rainforest aka the story of avatar it is literally the first avatar movie they also did operation dumbo drop with danny glover i don't know if you remember that fucking movie but yeah yeah Oh, uh, by the way, they also did Kazam with Shaq, a.k.a. the 35th worst movie of all time. (laughs) The Odd Couple 2, Save the Last Dance, and Terminator Genesis, a.k.a. Terminator Geriatrics. Ted Field has produced 76 movies in his career and has done a few overlaps with Robert Court, among them the entertaining Very Bad Things from director Pete Berg. I'm sure you remember that movie. It's the one with Jeremy Piven where they killed a hooker in Vegas and they try uh, to come yeah, yeah, yeah. and Daniel Stern is in it and Daniel Stern can't keep using 
using the word fucking cunt within the same sentence. <laughs> it's really funny, actually. The only thing I had seen him in up until that point was like Home Alone. And then I saw very bad things when I was like 12. And I was like, what the fuck? Like Marv is just going at it. Like what the hell is going on? It was like the first time that I heard uh, Tim Allen stand up, you know, and I was like, oh my God, like this man. <laughs> he also produced Pitch Black with Vin Diesel, The Invention of Lying, which has one of my all-time favorite lines about religion, and The Last Samurai, which is a great fucking movie. I don't care what anybody says. Did you see The Invention of Lying, Paul, with uh, Ricky Gervais? I don't recall if I have Oh, man, it's, it's so good. Ricky Gervais lives in this alternate world where everybody has to tell the truth all the time, and he becomes the first man in history to, like, lie. And so he <laughs> lies, and then he realizes what he can get out of lying, that he can basically manipulate anybody that he wants in order to get what he wants. Yeah. So he goes to the bank, and he finds out that he needs to pay his rent, and he finds out that he only has, like, half of the money that he needs, and he's like, no, I don't. I have like $6,000 in there. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. It must be a mistake with our computer. Here's your money. And she hands him over like all this money. <laughs> but he orders he orders pizza and everybody, because he the, the whole crux of the movie is that he like says something to like comfort his dying mother in the hospital. He wants to tell her there's an afterlife, but he knows that it's just like we go black and we end up in the ground. And so he like lies to her and he tells her about like this mythical world where there's like everyone you would have ever loved is in the sky with you and you get to see them and relive your favorite memories and blah, 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 blah. But the doctor overhears this and like overnight he becomes this celebrity that everyone wants to know what happens after you die. And so he like holds up in the fucking like in his apartment and he orders pizza and he's trying to figure out how to answer all these people's questions that are standing outside of his apartment. And he literally writes down like all these things on the pizza boxes and he walks out with the pizza boxes like <laughs> Moses with the fucking Ten Commandments. He starts explaining shit. And there's this great line. My favorite line in this movie is that he's standing there and he's talking about who gets to get into the nice place. Right. He doesn't call it heaven. And he's like, you know, it's if you're good. And he's like, well, how do we know if we're good? And he's like, well, you just don't do bad things. And they're like, well, what's bad? And how many strikes do I get? And all the fucking <laughs> questions start coming up. And yeah. so he starts answering these things, but he keeps digging himself a bigger hole. And this guy is like, he starts in like putting everything off on the man in the sky. And he's like, there's this man in the sky that keeps track and he has to fucking make the decision and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so he starts talking about it and people keep posing him these like really tough fucking philosophical questions. And this one guy in the audience gets pissed off and he's just like, you know what? You know, I want, I want to say something. Fuck the man in the sky. He sounds like a real asshole. <laughs> and like, the movie just takes off from there, man. Yeah. It's so good. You got to check it out. Nice. I really dig it. But going back to this for a second, I got really <laughs> diverted for a second. Um, he did, however, produce What Dreams May Come, which is an emotional porno turned up to 11. The Michael Bay <laughs> produced Texas Chainsaw remake with Jessica Biel. The Michael Bay produced a Midiville horror re remake. The awful family movie Zathura by director John Favreau. Seriously, stop giving him more credit than he deserves. He's <laughs> lackluster at best. Fucking The Mandalorian was not that great. I'm sorry, you know, like, just fucking sue me, all right? Like, if you don't like what I'm saying about these fucking nostalgia properties that I'm shitting on right now, like, just fucking sue me, all right? He also did Waist Deep with Tyrese Gibson, The Heartbreak Kid with Ben Stiller, Swing Vote, Shout Out New Mexico Film, The Box, which proved once again that director Richard Kelly is awful and that Donnie Darko was a fluke rather than the norm. <laughs> <laughs> The Terrible Spring Breakers by Harmony Koran, the Jumanji remakes, and 12, a movie by the late 
Joel Schumacher, which tries so desperately hard to be edgy, but the casting of Chance Crawford as a drug dealer completely fucks up any chance of me taking this movie seriously. Lastly, for the producers, I want to talk about Richard Vane. Dick Vane by the way, is his nickname. That's pretty awesome. All right. Yeah, how fucked up is that? I've been telling people at work about your gym teacher back in college named Richard Holder, and I was like, what the fuck is wrong with people? But, like, Dick Vane is pretty bad, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dick Vane produced Home Alone 2 Lost in New York, which I used to love until the presence of the cameo douchebag reality TV star president in it fucked up my ability to ever watch that movie again. <laughs> The fun jingle all the way with Arnold and Sinbad. I don't give a fuck. This movie is funny. Fuck anyone who says differently. I think that's our uh, that's our movie, Gabe. Right there. Oh, you fucking hate that movie? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, dude. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna have to do that one then. We're gonna have to do jingle all the way. Uh, rat race rat race with former star cuba gooding jr how to lose a guy in 10 days without a paddle last holiday the funny forgetting sarah marshall the awful movies drill bit taylor dance flick and peewee's big holiday as well as the underrated comedy the five-year engagement this movie stars the great jeff daniels john goodman and julian sands the rest of the cast is populated by little-known actors who, to be honest, I don't care about most of them, so I'm not going to go into them. I'm only going to talk about these three guys. Jeff Daniels is, of course, known for his hilarious and most-watched work, Dumb and Dumber, which is still fucking great. His <laughs> critically acclaimed work is quite incredible. All I think of Jeff Daniels when you say Dumb and Dumber is him like having explosive diarrhea on the toilet. And... <laughs> If Jeff Daniels had like a, a visual resume, you know, that he could like hand to people his headshot, it should just be him on the ball doing that fucking move where he's like squirming and he's got the hair like twitching. Oh. <laughs> it's so good, dude. I fucking yeah. love that movie. But this man's work in The Squid and the Whale, Steve Jobs, The Purple Rose of Cairo, The Newsroom, which features perhaps the best opening monologue of all time in a TV show, Godless, shout out New Mexico Film again, The Looming Tower, which I actually worked on, The Comey Rule, which he is excellent in, Terms of Endearment, The Excellent and Overly Long, Gettysburg. Side note, what happened to director Ron Maxwell? Dude, he made Gettysburg and Gods and Generals both of which are classically structured like ultra epics at four and a half yeah. hours and three and a half <laughs> hours respectively. Yeah. And he hasn't done anything that I remember since. Like, what the uh, fuck? I think he just likes Civil War movies. That's I don't know, it. man. Like, those <laughs> movies, I mean, Gods and Generals wasn't as good as Gettysburg, but, like, just that it's classically structured, and I felt, like, for a second that, like, Lawrence of Arabia, or I'm not mm -hmm. saying it's at all in that same category, but, like, you know, Lawrence of Arabia or, like, Gone with the Wind, those style of massive epics was back. Even, like, Giant yeah. with fucking Dean, uh, fuck. James Dean. Jesus Christ. Oh, James Why was I having Dean trouble Mayer. with that? So but, you, had the, dude, you had the Dean part. I got the Dean yeah. part, yeah. But, no, James Dean in that movie Giant, you know, with, like, Elizabeth, uh, yeah. Elizabeth fucking. Elizabeth Taylor. Taylor, there you go, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, Giant's a great movie, dude. But same thing, like, these three-and-a-half-hour epics that were part of like massive Hollywood back in the day. And then 
nothing like you know we haven't yeah. seen that in years and like this was the last guy that did it i mean the balls the balls to make a four and a half hour movie and try to put it in theaters it's fucking nuts jeff was also in the classic speed the movie pleasantville which is an absolute joy to watch i can't overstate how much i enjoy watching that movie the hours gods and generals of course good night and good luck the lookout state of play away we go howl the sci-fi classic that is Looper, and the excellent Ridley Scott-directed movie, The Martian. Side note, have you been watching Raised by Wolves, the Ridley Scott-produced thing? I haven't watched oh, it Oh, dude, you should, you should check it out, man. Like, it's classic Ridley Scott sci-fi, but he has these moments of ultra-violence in it that are fucking fantastic. Like, <laughs> the, the, I mean, some of it's in the trailer, but, like, the main character, when she turns into, like, her alternate self, she can scream, and she turns people into, like blood spray they just disappear <laughs> and like spray into the fucking wilderness but in nice. one scene she like screams in this guy's fucking like spinal column and head like shoot out of his neck and like land on the <laughs> ground and i was like jesus I was like, this is i like this ridley scott like why doesn't ridley do more of this but anyway if i if i had to pick some bad ones that jeff daniels is in i i'd say the catcher was a spy with paul rudd Allegiant, Dumb and Dumber 2, Paper Man with Ryan Reynolds, Space Chimps, and of course, this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course, this movie are all examples of bad movies that he is mixed up in. John Goodman we covered in episode 19 with Speed Racer, but I want to reiterate, I love John, but The Flintstones is perhaps one of the all-time <laughs> worst movies I've ever seen. But I love you anyway, John. Walter Sobchak is the funniest character ever written. I'm going to just say that like flat out. He's the funniest character ever written, and I still can't stop laughing. Thank you for that alone on top of everything else that you've done that's brilliant but like dude seriously fucking big lebowski turned 22 this year and i'm still laughing at it like tell me yeah. one fucking movie that's that fucking funny i think it's probably the funniest movie of all time to be honest with you like i can't stop laughing at that movie just john do us a favor do not do a speed racer sequel man please <laughs> oh, God, do not do that <laughs> what about arachnophobia 2 uh, I don't Bigger know, man. If, if Frank, if Frank Marshall wasn't involved, you know, and he was just producing, and they gave it to somebody else, maybe, you know, like I would see this movie if Steven Spielberg directed it, you know, like oh, I, well, yeah. I would, I would see it. But you know, that's that's one thing. That's a whole other thing. But Julian Sands is an English actor who plays the lead researcher who discovers the spider. He's excellent in A Room with a View, opposite the legendary Daniel Day Lewis. Mm. David Cronenberg's excellent and bizarre movie Naked Lunch. Leaving Las Vegas with Nicolas Cage, the excellent movie Time Code, which features four unbroken continuous shots all playing at the same time on the screen 13 years before Birdman and 19 years before 1917 brought it into the mainstream and really popularized it. He's also in David Fincher's excellent remake of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and the unbelievably fucked up war drama from last year known as The Painted Bird with Barry Pepper, Udo Kier, and Harvey Keitel. Seriously, do not watch this movie if you are sensitive to wartime atrocities and child abuse. It is horrifying, 
but absolutely incredible. Seriously, dude, you got to check this movie out, man. Like, mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting what I saw, and when I saw it, I was like, God damn it. Like, it fucking shocked me, man, but it also, like, left this, like, deep wound in my heart that yeah. I was like, did you ever see that movie Come and See from 1985? It's a Russian movie about that kid who's, like, trying to survive Hitler's, like, genocide in Russia. No, I don't think I've seen that. It's a classic, dude. You got to check it out. It's like, it's one of those movies that like it, it sticks in film history for a lot of reasons, not least of all, because like the tracer scene that happens at night, they actually shot real bullets at this kid. But anyway, oh, um, <laughs> ah, Soviet Union. <laughs> yeah. But this movie, when you see it, it's like, it's, it shows the degradation of this one kid. It's all from his perspective. I'm talking about, uh, come and see. But by the time that you end the movie, it's so fucking like emotionally exhausting that you're just like, fuck, man, I don't think I could ever watch that shit again. But it's probably one of the best <laughs> movies I've ever seen, you know, yeah. but like the painted bird is the same way. I was just like yeah. fucking shocked by it when I saw it. But it is incredible. And I think that everyone should see it. I've only seen Julian Sands in good movies besides Arachnophobia and the Million Dollar Hotel with Mel Gibson, Mila Jovovich, and Jeremy Davies. So I can't bitch about his bad work beyond these two movies. To, to be honest, though, like he is in like 75 movies and 74 of them are fucking German, you know? So I'm like, <laughs> I'm not real hip on the German film scene, so I'm sorry. Like, maybe he has done a lot of bad movies, but I haven't seen a lot of these or even heard about them for that matter. Yeah. This movie is written by Don Jacoby, Wesley Strick, and Al Williams. Donnie produces this movie, but he wrote some real pieces of shit. He wrote the <laughs> Toby Hooper, not to be confused with Cat's director, Tom Hooper, horror movie Life Force with the legendary Patrick Stewart. While this movie has some interesting raisin people effects, which I really dug because he like sucks the life force out of them and they turn into these like fucked up raisin people. It's terrible otherwise. He also wrote Death Wish 3, kinda, in that he was credited by a completely different name, Michael Edmonds, because he didn't want to be associated with this fucking awful movie. <laughs> <laughs> as well as Toby Hooper's Invaders from Mars, the fucking Jean-Claude Van Damme movie with Mickey Rourke and Dennis fucking Rodman called Double Team. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> flick, but... <laughs> Holy shit. Jean-Claude Van Damme, Mickey Rourke, and Dennis Rodman in a movie. <laughs> he also wrote John Carpenter's terrible movie Vampires with James Woods and Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. one of the loser Baldwins, <coughs> William... <coughs> <laughs> And Evolution. Remember that awful David Duchovny slime fest bro, with Dan Aykroyd, yeah. Ted Levine? Stifler was in that movie in Orlando oh, Jones. Stifler, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that oh man, I remember that like Trip brought that movie up when we were talking about Congo and I was just like, Oh god. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Pretty bad. Yeah. It's got some good good stuff though. Yeah, I, I mean there's some good slime moments in it, I'll give it that. Mm -hmm. Al Williams only wrote this movie. I'm not joking. No other credits in any category exist for this guy since this movie thirty fucking years ago. Is he a dentist or something? I don't know. I have no. I googled him. I couldn't find shit other than this movie. I was like, maybe he's a fucking pseudonym for somebody wrote something and then like tried to pawn it off because maybe this was like a super fucked up R-rated movie and they took it out of their hands and turned it into this. And he was just like, "Fuck, man, call it something. I don't give a shit. Take my name off of it." And then he just quit the film business altogether. Wesley Strick wrote Cape Fear right after this movie, so I can't hate on him too much. 
Oh, no, wait. I can because he wrote Final Analysis with Richard Gere, Wolf with Jack Nicholson, The Saint with Val Kilmer, The Glass House with Lily Sorbieski, The Nightmare on Elm Street remake from 2010, the horrible movie called The Loft with James Marsden, and Doom, one of the all-time worst <laughs> movies ever made with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So you know what, Wesley Strick, despite the fact that you wrote Cape Fear, fuck you for everything else that you wrote, all right? <laughs> This movie is directed by Frank Marshall, who we've had the pleasure of viewing his 1995 movie called Congo <laughs> in episode six of this podcast. Ah, Congo, wonderful. He, he is, without a doubt, a very hit-and-miss director, okay? <laughs> he has only made four movies starting in 1990 with this film, Arachnophobia, the rather good movie Alive with Ethan Hawke about the Uruguayan rugby, or Uruguayan rugby team who were stranded after that plane crash in the Andes. You remember that movie? Oh, yeah. yeah. I like the uh, Argentinian version more, I think. Right? Yeah, I that one's... What country I don't remember the name of that Survive. One, it's Survive. Survive. So. You're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, I, I don't know, man. I like that. I like that one, too. But I like Ethan Hawke a lot in... Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, in Alive. It's been a long time since I've seen it. When are we going to make the right. fucking uh, Donner Party movie, man? I, I hate to bring that up again. Yeah. But like, it needs to happen. It just... <laughs> Yeah. It's too good a story, man. I mean, we yeah. we saw the Argentinian like you know soccer team eating each other in that movie and survive. So like, why not? Why not make a Donner Potter movie? I'm just saying. Right. Yeah. But he also did the awful pile of gorilla shit known as Congo and Eight Below, a decent Disney movie with the late Paul Walker. So you know, four movies, two of them suck, two of them are decent. So you know, yeah. I, he's completely hit and miss. As a producer, the man has made more than 83 movies, including some real classics like Back to the Future, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Warriors Come Out to Play, <laughs> The Bourne Ultimatum, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and The Other Side of the Wind, which is Orson Welles' unfinished movie that took over 40 years to be completed and is currently on Netflix. If you haven't seen that, dude, it's fucking weird, man. Orson Welles like, really went off the deep end. <laughs> but I like it a lot. There's a lot in there that I really enjoy. But at the same time, I was just like, I, I'm kind of on the fence because I think that the 40-year making of period makes it more interesting than the movie actually is. I think if he just made it as like, you know, a year-long or two-year-long project and then he put it out, I would have been like, eh, you know, it's it's just more interesting because of the way that hmm. Peter Bogdanovich had like taken it over and re-edited it and, you know, done what Orson Welles would have intended or whatever. This movie opened on July 12th, 1990 at 1,479 theaters. Think about that for a second. This was 30 years ago, and like a top opening movie is in less than 1,500 theaters. Now, it's like Damn. over 3,500 are in this fucking country. It's actually close to 4,000 movie theaters are in this country. Well, they were anyway until coronavirus, but besides the fact. And uh, the obligatory tumbleweed comes rolling yeah. through the living room. Yeah. And then there's that guy from Family Guy standing there saying, like, y'all laughed at me. Y'all laughed at me. And he's, like, letting the tumbleweeds <laughs> go into the road. <laughs> uh, but this movie opened in the number three spot with an $8.045 million weekend and was produced for $22 million. Above it, in ascending order, was the Rennie Harlan-directed trash sequel, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, in its third <laughs> week. 
The number one spot was taken by the Patrick Swayze paranormal romance movie named Ghost in its second week. Below Arachnophobia was the Charlie Sheen, Michael Biehn action disaster known as Navy Seals in its first week. Do you remember that movie? That movie's <laughs> fucking terrible. Like, yes. Navy Seals? It was like Navy Seals and Iron Eagle were around the, uh, like, around the same oh, time. Iron Eagle, yeah. That's <laughs> classic. Bad shit. Bad shit movies. And finally, the top five was rounded out with the re-release of the 1964 Disney animation film, The Jungle Book, in its second week. Side note, in the top 17 movies during this same weekend were Days of Thunder, Dick Tracy, another Rennie Harlan movie called The Adventures of Ford Fairlane with Andrew Dice Clay. So he had two movies out the same fucking week in America, which is kind of crazy. The total fucking brilliant, brilliant movie called Total Recall was out this same week. Another 48 Hours with Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. Pretty Woman, Back (laughs) to the Future 3, and RoboCop 2. What a fucking lineup, man. Like, listen to that, bro. Like, how many great fucking movies, even like great bad movies, are out all in this same weekend? I don't think I've ever seen a lineup quite like that since then. I think even in my (laughs) lifetime, it was like maybe there were six or seven at the box office at the time I wanted to see. But like not movies that turned into like weird classics, whether they sucked or not, you know, (laughs) fucking weird. This movie was in theaters for 165 days and went on to gross $53,208,180 domestically. Apologies are due this week as I was not able to find any box office data for foreign markets. I'm sorry, fans. Uh No metrics this week. I just hope Johnny Quarterslice, Billy Half-Ass, and Camille steered clear of this movie. This movie was, however, the 24th highest ranking movie in the worldwide box office in 1990. Ahead of it was the box office smash, Edward Scissorhands, and below it was the Robert De Niro classic called Awakenings. Hard to believe that $53 million worldwide actually got this film into the top 30 of the worldwide box office that year. Like, imagine that. For perspective here, the 24th worldwide box office holder of 2019 was Shazam, the Marvel spinoff thing about the kid that turns into a superhero thing, with $363.6 million. (laughs) So an increase of more than 600% between the two comparatively. Also, the number one worldwide sensation in 1990 was Ghost with $517.6 million, whereas the number one movie of 2019 worldwide was, of course, Avengers Endgame with $2.797 billion, or a 540% increase. All-time worldwide, however, this movie sits in the 2,673rd slot behind the 2015 Chinese-American action comedy called Hollywood Adventures, and ahead of the brilliantly acted 2008 thriller with the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman and Meryl Streep called Doubt from 2008. Arachnophobia has a 6.4 out of 10 with 62,300 votes on IMDb, a 67 on Metacritic, a stunning 92% on <laughs> RottenTomatoes.com, making this officially the highest rated Rotten Tomatoes movie we've ever reviewed. However, it does have a 54% audience score, so that's something. (laughs) (laughs) This movie ranks highest amongst males aged less than 18 with a 6.8 and lowest amongst females aged less than 18 with a 1 out of 10. That's the first time we've ever had a demographic with that low of a score. 
This week, my skin crawls to think of the 2,461 people who voted this a perfect 10 best movie ever made on IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite reviews this week. Before, before I get into my favorite reviews, I have to put a little disclaimer here. To be fair to this movie, it was really hard for me to find shitty reviews from, like, good critics. It was like, you know, when I looked on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got, like, 65 reviews, and, like, 64 of them were great on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> so I was like, it was really hard for me, but I tracked down some good ones. So my favorite review this week begins with Jay Scott of the Boston Globe. Jay Spools simply, it's a ripoff of the birds, but not as scary. Original score, one out of five stars. <laughs> Jay Carr of the Boston Globe weaves, quote, Arachnophobia wants to be Jaws or the birds with killer spiders. It isn't. The movie lacks the skill really to top our primal fears, and the spiders are the only thing that don't seem mechanical in Arachnophobia. Original score, one out of five stars. Lastly, Rita Kempley of the Washington Post spins, quote, This is Disney's idea of a fright fest, about as threatening as Jaws with Flipper in the title role. <laughs> Score, two out of four stars. Lastly, Arachnophobia is rated PG-13, with no ratings descriptor, because this was during that time where they weren't really doing ratings descriptors. Mm. So, Paul, I got a good one this week. <laughs> Malachi Kittridge stands on home plate. The Clinton, Massachusetts-born, 5-foot, 7-inch, 170-pound sack of shit was drafted into the <laughs> league in 1890 at the age of 20 years old. 1890. We're going way back in time. Way back. Malachi stands in Huntington Avenue baseball grounds in Boston, Massachusetts. He squares off against the Boston Americans as the catcher for the Cleveland Naps. Yeah, Naps. That was Naps. the name of Cleveland's <laughs> Good job. <laughs> yeah. Are Indians better? Hmm. No, no. I mean, I would rather them say that than some racist shit. Naps is probably still racist somehow. It's probably some racial slur from the 1800s. I'm sure that they're fucking like uh mascot was like a sleeping mexican in a sombrero or something like that <laughs> it's july 23rd 1906 and 3680 people sit in the stadium that's only 32 percent full by the way while today would yield a two-run loss by the cleveland naps and indeed by malachi himself we stand hopeful in the top of the eighth inning of the game Cleveland's Happy Townsend, again with these old-time names, stands on second, hoping desperately to get to home. Malachi is on ball three of his third at-bat appearance. We haven't scored since the first inning, and this is inning eight, and Boston is up by one. Bill Deneen of the Americans is on the mound, a look of calm on his face. Malachi's hitting average is a mere 219. And he holds the distinction of being the second lowest career OPS plus. That means on base plus slugging percentage. The league average has been adjusted to 100, right? Like that's the baseline is 100. Yeah. Of any player with 4,000 plate appearances or more with an absolutely abysmal negative 37. So <laughs> 137 points below league average this motherfucker sits with nice. that statistic. <laughs> but this isn't what makes him so special, Paul. Today, Boston's Americans, Bill Deneen, winds up and pitches a fourth ball walking Malachi to first base. But Paul, during his walk to first, Malachi, are you ready for this? Sprains his fucking ankle while walking because he <laughs> is weighed down. 
weighed down by $300 worth of nickels and dimes in his pockets. That's right, listeners. This stupid (laughs) fucking bastard sprained his ankle because he had a combination of almost 1,700 coins in his pockets. What the fuck does this man need with that many coins on his person? Dude, this is the equivalent of someone carrying $8,873.18 worth of fucking coins on their person in today's day and age while playing baseball. Malachi is taken off the field by medics and Jap Barbeau takes over on plate over sending in either Elmer Flick or Nap Lahoye. These are real names, people. No shit. A guy named a racist slur for Japanese people, another guy named Elmer, like Elmer fucking Fudd, and another guy named Nap, which is his real name. Nap. Who the fuck names their kids these things? Even in 1900, bro. As Jap settles in, you wind up and you pitch this motherfucker to me, Paul. Ah, yeah. Spiders, man. Spiders. Let me tell you. I want to make a movie about spiders because as a child, I was sitting on my toilet and a spider crawled up my leg and in between my legs. And I couldn't do anything about it. I just froze. I just froze. And the spider, it, 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 it did, it did things to me. It, It touched them. Are you sure? Are you sure it was a spider? Were you sure it wasn't Father McFeely's private patent chat? He did wear those uh, spider-shaped collar cufflinks. And, and <laughs> no, can't think about it. I just want to make a movie about my primal fears of, of, of spiders. spiders. Sure, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what else is it about? I hear spiders. Is there an actual story? Can uh, I- well, uh, yeah, we're going to go to the jungle. Mm-hmm. We're going to meet some... Uh, cliched uh natives there and uh we're gonna find like a lost world kind of concept with oh nice instead of dinosaurs giant venomous spiders of death i dig it i dig it all right and so we're gonna go into the jungle we're gonna clear cut a bunch of it to make room for the film production and then we're gonna spray uh and we're gonna spray a bunch of uh insecticide in the forest sure that's all good it's 1990 we can definitely kill everything in the jungle that's okay so anyways the story is there's a doctor of like arachnology or something like that and then uh there's a photographer who uh likes football and doesn't want to be in the jungle because who wants to be in the jungle with all that shit right spiders and all that yeah undergrowth yeah, yeah sure, sure kind of like sure, your mom yeah. anyways <laughs> sure so the spider bites the the photographer and he dies but then the spider like hitches a ride in his body and his coffin comes sure guess where guess where he comes to do they stay in the jungle because california it's really no 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 we moved to california rural california why? You could have hot Venezuelan broads walking around. <laughs> Why the fuck would you go? No, back because we want Jeff Daniels. All right. Okay. He he's okay. going to be the main right. character in this. All right. Sure. All right. He was also assaulted by a spider when he was a child, just like me. So <laughs> that's where spider. the story comes. I hear spider rapist happening here. Uh, sh- 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 no, no, it was just a spider. Really, really. I wasn't. I wasn't molested. Is that doing anything for you? No. <laughs> okay so yeah sure we land in california jeff daniels is standing there and there's a fucking spider in the coffin so what yeah yeah so it's great because jeff daniels is the new doctor in town 
And all of his patients keep dying whenever he sees them. So you've got comedy, right? Because people uh-huh. dying is funny. And <laughs> and and spiders. Like a fear of spiders. Okay. It's called okay. We're calling the movie Arachnophobia. Nice. That's gonna nice. be great. Great. Nice. Yeah. We can get this yeah. done real quick for like twenty million, right? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We got some uh, animatronic spiders and some real spiders from New Zealand. <laughs> We're gonna set them loose in the United States. Great, it's great. Really yeah. yeah, I'm sure yeah. that that will be fine for the fucking ecosystem of the United <laughs> States. But <laughs> you know, it's it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine, sir, if you do this movie. But I just have one request: since it's 1990 oh. and it's Hollywood, the What's whole that? cast needs to be white. There's got to be no people of color oh, in this whole fucking well, movie. Well, I mean, is it believable that someone of color would be in rural California? <laughs> no. 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 Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, okay. okay. All right. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, Paul, this movie, you know, I already said it before, but Hollywood Pictures, man, two for two. I'm sorry, man. But also Frank Marshall, <laughs> two for two, bro. Fuck you for making this in Congo. But why are there, dude? All right, all right. You know what? Before I continue, why do you like this movie? Because the spider starts screaming at the end. (laughs) What is it with the screaming spider, man? I don't know. It's great. (laughs) Spiders don't really scream. They don't. They have vocal cords. But just the fact, any noise actually. Just the fact that they put in it screaming just when it's on fire, running around. I think it's great. <laughs> Did you see this movie when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I didn't see this until I was in high school. That was the first time I saw it. Uh, so it was a while. No, I saw it pretty young, actually, but I thought the, the screaming spider was like the best part of the whole movie. And I still do. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not the exploding thorax of the Oh, well, I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, you got exploding thoraxes. The dissolving spiders. Yeah, dissolving spiders. Spiders crawling out of people's nostrils. <laughs> uh, spiders jumping. This movie does kind of have that same sort of feeling that, like, uh, Poltergeist did, you know, especially with, like, the makeup effects and shit like that. It kind of has that same sort of, like, funky early 90s feel to it, which I, I sort of yeah. dig. You know, like, I, I can get behind oh. that. Oh, you like... You like how when John Goodman comes in and his intro music is this like funky like <laughs> sax, but then they throw in some harmonica and you're like, yeah. okay, what is he supposed to be exactly? <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah, especially in like rural California, this guy, you would expect him to be sitting on a fucking porch with a banjo like in Deliverance. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, if they did a remake of Deliverance with fucking uh, John Goodman playing uh, one of the hillbillies in the fucking <laughs> woods, I would pay to see that, man. Good money, I'd pay to see that. But, dude, why why are there always white people wanting to wander into the forest and hiring natives to do all their heavy lifting? <laughs> like, colonize much, motherfuckers? Uh, but it's just Mr. the way of things, Gabe. Yeah, just it's the way of the world. Way of the world. <laughs> But, dude, Mr. Manly is the guy that we focus on in the beginning, the fucking photographer Mr. that gets Manly. bit. Which is the yeah. stupidest name, by the way, Mr. Manly. Yeah, he's kind of a he douche. will not shut the fuck up or stop complaining. Like, why is he here again? <laughs> did I miss this part? And, yes, I did because, like, even watching this a second time, it took me a second to realize that he's there because he's a photographer. But it's not like, you know, a research team might have, like, their own photographer that's, like, I don't know, 
versed in scientific method or like knows what to take pictures of not just some <laughs> asshole with a camera but how is it that there's a 2000 foot line lowering a giant smoker doesn't snap under its own weight like they throw these belay lines over and they just they say the yeah. 2000 foot drop and they just lower this fucking giant smoker all the way to the ground and i'm like okay so <laughs> physics tells me that by the time it gets down there, the fucking weight coefficient of the rope is going to be so extreme that it's going to rip whoever the fuck is standing up there out of their fucking perch, and they're going to go careening down into the fucking base of that canyon. But whatever. Manly wanders into a spider web and screams like, well, a white suburban dweller in the forest. Completely out of his element. Well, it's funny, like, uh, the way it's edited. It's a shock and a surprise, but he, like, in real life would have seen it from, like, 100 feet away. Oh, wow, and just... <laughs> <laughs> but he's just rolling yeah. around on the ground. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. great. You know, I think the other reason I like this movie is in the beginning with the intro music, they have, like, pan flute playing <laughs> and just got a shout out to any soundtrack that has pan flute in it for whatever reason there was a lot during like the early 90s it was like focusing on that even into like the early yeah. 2000s there was a lot of like pan oh, yeah. flute random yeah. shit that was happening i think the greatest pan flute that i've heard is from like uh soundtrack of commando that's i think really? that's my favorite pan you know, okay so I, I get where you're coming with that but for me my favorite pan flute in any movie ever is the fucking soundtrack to rain man dude like it is so fucking like heartfelt and it just immediately starts pulling at your heartstrings and haunts and yeah. scored the living fuck out of that movie yeah. with the pan flute dude love that shit love it <laughs> yeah, no, I don't remember that soundtrack too much. Oh, but dude, just just go online and Google <laughs> the uh, the the Rain Man main theme, and as soon as you hear it, you're gonna be like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" I remember how fucking <laughs> great this movie is. I remember how great the score is, man. Fucking Dustin Hoffman killed this movie. But anyway, I get the point of this guy Manly being there, but like it, him screaming and acting like a douchebag all the time and an entitled piece of shit doesn't make him relatable and the fact that we're concentrating on him for so long during the beginning moments of this movie i'm like <laughs> this just fucking puts me off you know what i mean like it doesn't make me want yeah. at least in indiana jones like the irritating guy at the beginning was killed like pretty fucking quickly and i didn't have to concentrate well, on manly him. only takes what 10 minutes for him to die so, yes but yeah. <laughs> there's no indiana jones hanging out in the shadows being silhouetted you know what i mean it is funny how how this movie the tone is almost exactly like raiders of the lost ark at the yeah. beginning yeah and then it yeah, changes radically and turns into this like fucking weird like gremlins thing for a while <laughs> For the record, I fucking hate spiders. I am mildly arachnophobic. Like, I know that spiders are good, and I try to leave the ones that I can't see alone in my house. But if I see a spider, I fucking smash that shit. Like, I don't <laughs> care what the fuck they're doing in my house. But how is Mr. Manly this clueless, right? He should know something. He can't be this irritating, irritating and a decent photographer. Like, for instance, Manly has a medium telephoto lens on, but he gets his lens within a few feet of the dead spider. And I'm like, dude, he's got at least an 85 on that thing. And he's getting like right up to it just so that way they can have the fucking jump scare of him like getting oh, jumped on by the spider. I mean, it's probably a macro lens. I mean, I that was the only thing that I could figure. If I was going to be photographing bugs, I'd bring a fucking macro lens for sure. <laughs> no, I mean, that was the only thing that I could figure, and I knew that you were going to bring that up for sure. So I mean, <laughs> I, I'm willing to recant a little bit on that, but he does get like uncomfortably close to it. 
Dude, this movie is exactly why white people should not get adventurous. They literally wander into the undiscovered forest and decide they need to gas hundreds of undiscovered species to discover them. This is the story of colonization, people. I found it, so I should be able to kill it, right? Like, that's the way it goes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this guy screaming and, like, acting like a man-child. Like, all I want to do is fucking slap Manly in the face. Like, shut the fuck up, please. But the rubber spider, like, leaping from the tree and landing on the gurney is just, like, it's so fucking hokey, dude. You know, I don't know <laughs> if this movie was, like, trying to go for hokey because it kind of feels like it's supposed to be, like you said, like this Indiana Jones thing at the beginning. And then it, like, radically tone shifts into that weird, like, suburban America, like, in the fucking country type bullshit for a while. And just kind of forgets where it was for a second. <laughs> which is really weird, the tonal changes in this movie. But besides the fact... Yeah. It's a good thing Manly is walking by just long enough for Taylor Hansen, the fucking, you know, researcher with the blonde hair, to say, quote, incredible, and Manly has to react to it so that we can get exposition. Otherwise, if he hadn't reacted in that way at that exact time, we never would have understood what was happening in the plot, Paul. There was no other way of us telling anything that's going on in the plot without this moment. How would you react to being cast as Manly? Like, needed. Annoying, overweight, sweaty, partially balding, homely white guy. Like, oh, yeah, man, that's what I want right there. I'm going to be fucking making my movie star career out of this. <laughs> Manly, dude, Manly reacting to the Venom is B-movie legendary acting. <laughs> fucking great. Great shit, spit, man. And he's like, yeah, yeah, he's like, ah! Like, it's so good. <laughs> so good. So fucking good, man. Ah, <laughs> uh, but dude, they just they just <laughs> they just fucking stick Manly in a wood box. Like no investigation to autopsy of an American citizen. They don't even bother to look for an outside stimulus. They just say, "Oh, fever must have gotten him." Fuck it. No worry as to a possible deadly fevers on the loose that just killed this guy, or maybe a goddamn venomous snake, or oh, maybe a spider. I don't People, know, you know. They're like, oh, yeah, another dead white person. Whatever. <laughs> Throw him in a box, send him back to America. <laughs> I like like how they have the giant holes in the coffin. <laughs> yeah. That they're going to ship via airplane or ship or something. Like, you would want to seal body. that, man. You got to seal that shit <laughs> yeah. up. Like, yeah. If you don't know, human bodies decompose extremely rapidly it's actually kind of shocking within like two or three days it's really fucking bad and like that's what you know a lot of coroners will talk about is if a body is left out for any amount of time it like really fucks shit up for them and they have a hard time determining what the hell is going on because one of the most fucked up things that you can ever google in your life is degloving right degloving is like this phenomenon that like the body when it dies it like starts filling up with gas and like fluids almost immediately and like the skin starts loosening so you can literally like peel somebody's hand off like a glove it just peels right off do not Google degloving photos, by the way. <laughs> like, now that I've said it, you're gonna probably go do it. Oh and if you're yeah. if you're looking at it right now as I'm saying this, ha ha! Fuck you! You got tricked. <laughs> do not Google blue waffles either. Fuck, man! Like blue image waffles. search blue waffles, huh? motherfucker. What you haven't seen this, Paul? No. I Google don't search I'm... blue waffles right, right, right now. <laughs> uh, add a reaction. Paul searches something on the internet reaction section. All right, let's see here. Blue. Blue waffles image search. Well, I'm getting a bunch of uh, 
blue dyed waffles. No, I'm not seeing any like weird shit that you're really. Oh wait, blue waffles disease. Oh, is that like a tongue? <laughs> there thing? it is. There it is. Okay. There it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is taking you back to ogreish days, bro. Yeah, it's messed up. <laughs> wait, I don't even know what half the shit is I'm looking at. Actually, this is. <laughs> Remember when we wandered across on Ogrish that elephantitis like album, <laughs> <laughs> and Jim had to come storming out his room at three in the morning because we couldn't stop like <laughs> reacting. <laughs> oh God, what did I? <laughs> uh... I'm gonna take it back to this movie, but to that point about the guy dying on the fucking expedition, right? How many people have died on this professor's expedition? He's very nonchalant of a member of his expedition dying. He's just like, oh, well, okay, what? Fucking throw him in the box, whatever, fuck him. But also to the point of the spider getting out this easily, is U.S. Customs completely asleep in this movie? Like, they have doctors in Customs to examine bodies prior to them entering the U.S. Like, literally, they do that. Because, like, you know, God forbid they were shot by some fucking cocaine dealer or whatever, and they fucking x-ray the bodies, and they find a fucking bullet in the body, and they're like, death certificate says he died of a heart attack, but there's a, you know, 223 bullet in his head. Like, you want to explain what's going on there? Or the body is actually just a human skin filled with cocaine. Yeah, that's what I was going to say next. (laughs) That that way of a body coming in from Venezuela or Colombia might be filled with, I don't know, cocaine or something. Like, they do that shit all the time, man. But, you know, I mean, that's why they have doctors in U.S. Customs. But in this movie, they're asleep. So I'm just going to move past it for a second. (laughs) But what funeral home has a dog door that just so happens to allow the spider in question to just wander out and be picked (laughs) up by a crow and transported to its next waiting victims? Like, this spider travels more than the feather in Forrest Gump at the beginning of that fucking movie. Just like so perfect. I like how the uh, it shows the mortician and he's like eating a sandwich while he's like cracking open this coffin. That He's not that's not entirely wrong though. I don't know if you remember that story that Zeb told us about like our, our buddy Zeb who was the guest host for uh, Black Hat. His stepfather Glenn worked for the Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroad and he was saying that like the the coroners that are like called out or investigate when people get hit by trains. He said that he saw like this guy, this coroner show up. And this guy's like splattered all over the tracks. And this fucking guy is like eating a meatball sandwich as he's like looking at this. And he literally like picked up the head in order to like examine it and then put it back down with one hand while he had the meatball sub in the other hand. Like this isn't out of sorts for a fucking yeah, sure, corner. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's just part of your day job, man. I mean, I, I would I would have a problem doing it in terms of cleanliness factor because I don't want anything to get in the way of me enjoying my sandwich. But you know, I digress. <laughs> so you didn't have anything with this sandwich beef, but yo, while you know what? The, I, I was gonna wait until the end, but you know what? That's a perfect segue, Paul. I'm gonna go into my sandwich beef this week, so. <laughs> talk about venezuelan food for a second okay any anyone that knows me knows i love venezuelan food and this ties in perfectly because the beginning of this movie takes place in venezuela but i was exposed to it because of my friend laura in la when i lived out there side note laura is the wife of our congo guest host actually trip that's his wife so like she's from venezuela she's from caracas and she used to cook me venezuelan food and i immediately fell in love with it right Arepas oh, yeah. are one of my all-time favorite foods, yeah. combining fried or baked corn flour 
your patties, cheese, tuna, bacon, or whatever the fuck else you want to put <laughs> into a tasty handheld snack that is perfect for any and all things. Combine this with the fried cheese goodness that are Tequeños. If you don't know, these are made with buttery okay. dough that is wrapped around queso de mano and fried the golden brown perfection. And then they give you these dipping sauces. And one of my favorites is that a Venezuelan place in LA used to give you like this guava jelly. I would take the habanero hot sauce and I'd put it in the guava jelly and I'd stir it around and it would be like this spicy, sweet guava thing that would be like combined with the salt of the cheese and the butteriness of the oh, dough. Gosh. And oh my God, it was so good. The cheese with queso de mano is saltier and tastier than mozzarella. So like if you want to say that this is just basically like mozzarella sticks, it is 10 times, 100 times better oh, yeah. than mozzarella yeah. sticks dude and the no. butter fried dough is all yeah. that makes sopapillas awesome mozzarella sticks are like the craft Chicken nugget mac and cheese <laughs> compared to like a homemade aged cheddar mac and cheese that you make you know what i'm sure. saying like sure yeah. absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but it's it's like it's warm it's salty it's buttery it's fluffy it's so fucking good so Cut to Rockaway Beach in far Rockaway, New York. That's on Long Island, if you don't know. They really take pride in Venezuelan food, this place called Caracas, right? It's called Caracas Arepas Bar. But they really take pride in the Venezuelan food, and they are owned by a Venezuelan couple. So one day, I just went swimming in the ocean, and I walked 250 feet to the Arepa Bar that's right there on the beach, eagerly awaiting Tequeños and Arepas, right? This is my first time there. I get my food and it looks delicious. And you know, like Laura had been telling me about this for a while that she has followed this place on Instagram because like it's owned by a Venezuelan. She hadn't been to New York yet and she always wanted to go there when she went to New York. If you have ever seen the meme of the puppy jumping up and down with its hind legs as it eats, that's my spirit animal. Like that's the way I am with food. Like food <laughs> makes me happier probably more than anything in the world. I tell my wife all the time, I love you and I love food, but to be fair, food was here first. This is all to say <laughs> my arepa was golden just the way that I like it. It, it. Like if you do it right, it's like got like this golden texture to it. It's like when you yeah. get like a really good piece of like fried chicken that's fried properly or even like bread that's cooked properly. It's got like that golden sheen on the top of it or like yeah. pie same thing until i bit into it lo and behold this dough tasted a few days old it was dry and crusty and very crunchy which it's not supposed to be crunchy and worst of all it was completely tasteless i don't know how you fuck up arepa masa but these motherfuckers somehow fucked up a three ingredient item you don't even you don't even have to grind the corn like the flour that venezuelans prefer is literally available at most every fucking international market in the fucking city like how do you fuck this up but somehow a recipe that is corn flour water and salt turned into a tasteless hard as fuck hockey puck now look Again, I don't want to speak out of turn on literally hundreds of these tasty fuckers being sold every day, but for fuck's sake, it's three ingredients, man. Like, do your countrymen <laughs> and fellow paisanos and Latinos proud and get your shit together, Caracas Arepas Bar in Far Rockaway. Until then, I eagerly await my next Arepa. <laughs> Anyway, 
let's go back to this movie for a second. Uh, that was a good enough segue. I was thinking about that, but I was like, you know, I'll just wait until the end because it's like I didn't want to like shit on this and make everybody down, and then I have to bring them back up at the end. That's what I really wanted to do. But thanks for fucking that up, Paul. But, <laughs> dude, but in the beginning of this movie, like, you know, they, they get out and they unload in front of the house, the new house that these like rich white people move to in the country, and the little girl gets out of the fucking car and she throws a ball directly at camera. And then runs off. Like, she doesn't even look where she's throwing it. She just fucking hucks it. And I was like, <laughs> how many takes did it take for that little girl to throw the ball exactly towards the spider? Like, she's a little girl, actress number one. She's running number two. And, like, she's she's a child. She doesn't have very good control of her motor skills yet. She's still learning that shit. But, like, they're having her throw it at this very specific point in the fucking frame in order for them to get what they want. But, like, she just does it, like, perfectly on the first huck, <laughs> presumably, in I this think, movie. <laughs> from what I understand, how they film this movie, especially, they used a lot of live spiders. And yeah. you can't really train spiders to right, do right. anything. You can, like, there's certain tricks to make them do stuff things but it's kind of a crapshoot what they do so you just have to film over and over and over until it does what you want to that point though they also went through like extreme extreme like protections in order to protect the spiders like anything that was like real spider action they had like the whole thing mapped out almost like a stunt in order to not kill the spider. You know, they made like very specific ways of doing this. When John Goodman steps on the spider later, he wore like a hollowed out boot so that way they could go over it. And you can kind of see it in the way that he puts his foot down. He's like very careful about the way he puts his foot down. But that's just a side note for the animal lover slash insect lover out there. But why why did she get out of the car and just throw the ball straight into the woods and keep running? Like, <laughs> seems like a bit of a dick of a child, dude. She just gets out and is like, oh, this great ball I've been playing with. Fuck it. It's going into the woods and just keeps running off. This guy is complaining about the mover shaking his bottles of wine and, like, stirring up the sulfates and whatnot. But... The bottles are in boxes on a fucking moving truck that was bouncing around for God knows how long. Like, they're not even packed in, like, hay or whatever. He, like, picks them up, and they're just, like, in the boxes. But whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. Why is it that the only people who are main characters are white and the help, which are the guides in Venezuela and the movers, are the only people of color in this movie? Like, everybody else is fucking white. Why is that? This is 1990, bro. You know, like, you know. I mean, Rodney King did get the shit beat out of him two years after this movie, so maybe people weren't thinking about this kind of thing yet. But I digress. If you look at the script, like, where's the room for a person of color in the script? You get like these like established like <laughs> houseed kind of people of the town, right? Like right, even right. a. Casta. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I want to talk about that for a second because there's this misnomer in casting that, like, casting people of color are oftentimes, like, the magical black man character, which, like, teaches the white person that their life isn't so bad or they're, like, a fucking country type person that, like, is charming but also kind of like a buffoon or they're, like, the comedic relief, which we've talked about before. But. I want to talk about real quick because you brought it up is that one thing that I really, really appreciated about Tenant was that John David Washington, the main character is black and they never mention it. He's just black. And I'm like, this is how you do inclusive filmmaking. You don't have to bring no. up the fact that he's black. He's just black and he's there and he's doing everything that a character would do in a movie, but you never have to mention the color of his skin. 
because it's not indicative of the story and it's not elemental to the story. And I really appreciated that about Tenet. I'm like, you want to talk about inclusion? That's inclusion because like some inclusion, you look at it and it's like, I was talking to my wife about this is that like every TV show does this second season of every TV show introduces a fucking gay character. Right. And it's their like quota <laughs> in order to like fucking try to appear like they're progressive or whatever. But it always happens in every fucking TV show. And I'm like, that's inclusion for the sake of being inclusive. It's not inclusive because like you actually believe that society should be inclusive. There's a big fucking difference. You right, know what right. I mean? Okay. So why I do relate that Jeff Daniels' character is scared of spiders. I am definitely that way. But like, I like that the cop in this movie is fat and deemed a bully, and the old broad just tears up the <laughs> ticket and throws it. Like, I love that. I'm like, this is great. I think she's actually the best character in the movie. The, like old, the old broad, really? The ornery old broad who okay. shits on everyone's preconceptions. John Goodman in this movie is fucking fantastic. <laughs> So, dude, real real question. Is this movie a warning for people not to move from the suburbs? Like, that there's all this scary stuff in the country and they should just stay safe not going into the country? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I feel like it's a warning piece, man. That's insects, what this movie is. spiders, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. crazy townspeople. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't want to mess with that shit. Dickhead doctors. <laughs> <laughs> people that are all up in your business. Yeah, care about what you do. <laughs> you know, they talk. They talk about that. I don't. I don't mean to bring it up again, but they talk about that all the time in uh, Small Town Murder. That how many of the fucking episodes of that podcast do they talk about that the case was like solved because some fucking nosy asshole in the middle of nowhere <laughs> is like. I don't recognize that car. I'm going to write down the license plate. And it, lo and behold, <laughs> it's fucking incredible. But the wife wanders into the barn and sees a spider web to take a picture of it, right? She's like a, a hobbyist or whatever. But she only sees one of the dozens made in the attic of the barn, despite the sizable gap in the fucking boards <laughs> to the attic. Like this woman is so conveniently oblivious. So, dude, unlike Jeff Daniels, if I even touch a spider web with my hands or anything, my skin crawls. I can't stand the texture. But he touches a spider web and doesn't react. He's like, oh, look at that. Oh, I'm like, no, 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 no. Somebody that's scared of spiders has been traumatized. Like, as soon as they feel it, they're like, they start squirming. They do like the fucking Ace Ventura white bat thing, you know? And he's like <laughs> flailing around. <laughs> in the summer in my neighborhood, like, there's all these trees. And it's almost every, every night the spiders start, like, weaving their net. So if you're ever walking your dog, you just get a face full of spider web. Oh, like, it's every the night. worst, dude. It's the worst <laughs> when you get the like the little what do they call them? The pilot lines that they shoot out in order to start forming their web. Yeah. You get like one pilot line, and it's always for me. It's always in my fucking eyes. It's like right <laughs> where my nose and my eyes meet, and I always get it right there. It's never like lower. It's never higher. It's right at the eye line. <laughs> you know, like I said, he doesn't get scared when he touches the web. He runs out with the webs on his face and doesn't actively work to try to remove them. He's just like leaves them on there as he's panicking. Well, it's funny. We're talking about him trying to face his fears, right? Of right, his right, right. Whole, like, uh, and he has a big, long monologue where he describes the spider like crawling up his leg. And... Right, right. Yeah. Right. Now, when I was thinking of that, I was yeah thinking of it's some kind of repressed sexual molestation from when he was a kid. Or something. <laughs> like, like I was saying about no, the not, no. or uh, Father McFeely. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
going back to my previous point, in the next scene after this, look at the fucking crowd at his house. Not one person of color in the entire crowd. Like, come on, bro. Like, this is this is deliberate on somebody's part. They don't think that black actors can act or whatever, that they don't fit in. Like, it's fucking ridiculous. But I would have hated to work on this movie, bro. Like, the idea that there were tons of spiders on set would be way too much for me to handle. <laughs> And those, you know, they talk about how I was watching or I was reading something about this movie that like the specific species of spider that's in this movie, like you said, is from New Zealand. They brought in all these spiders from New Zealand, but they're like entirely harmless. They're actually a lot more sociable than regular spiders. And they like, you know, they're more willing to like be around people or like interact with people, so to speak. But I'm just like, no, man, they look vicious as fuck. Like, look at those fucking <laughs> things, bro. They got, like, these big-ass legs and, like, the big pads on their feet. And they, they have, like, clearly larger mandibles than other spiders. And I'm like, uh-uh, man, uh-uh. <laughs> I'm the guy that's like, give me a lighter and a fucking can of ha- hairspray. Like, I'm taking this motherfucker down. This really is all American, bro. Like, and I'm glad they make fun of it because, like, this is, like, weird, all-American, like, small-town shit. Like, his his weird butch haircut party guest tells Jeff Daniels' wife about how his tall, blonde, blue-eyed son is the star of quarterback for the Broncos <laughs> and how he coaches the team. And J.D.'s wife, Molly, takes a, a comment or makes a comment about nepotism. And this asshole is too stupid as his wife who comments, <laughs> actually, we're Baptists. Like, bravo, motherfucker. Bravo. <laughs> for real. That's some good screenwriting. I like that kind of shit when they make fun of, like, small town Americana. It's good. <laughs> There's a lot of that in this movie. There's a lot about this movie that I could like. And I found myself, you know, watching it, uh, you know, 17, 20 years almost from the first time that I saw it. And I'm like... I enjoyed it a lot more than I enjoyed it the first time I watched it. The first time I watched it, I was just like, what the fuck is this PG-13 bullshit? Get that out of here. (laughs) (laughs) It's not fair to this movie because during the time that I saw this movie, I was going on like this long bender of like R-rated like 90s and like 80s flicks, you know, like especially horror movies. And it was like this movie was just kind of caught in the middle of it. It was just like, yeah forgettable to me because it didn't have anything that was like really interesting in it other than john goodman like everything else was just like eh, fuck it you know like even the spiders exploding wasn't that good enough but <laughs> it, just, it, it didn't uh it didn't make a mark on me no i enjoy it. this movie like i think it markets itself as some terror horror movie but then yeah. You watch it and it's kind of it's got a lot more comedy than you might think in it yeah, i mean it's a b movie in a lot of ways some of it's shitty comedy but uh you know some of the jokes land and yeah. at least give it an interesting tone i think compared to <laughs> a straight horror movie yeah about yeah. spiders yeah i mean i guess so i mean this this is one of those like midnight movies that you might go see you know i, I could see this being a midnight showing kind of thing you know at a movie theater somewhere i would i would get yeah. behind that that's okay but there's a spider crawling around in Margaret's living room, which is huge, right? Like, how the fuck did she miss it crawling right toward <laughs> her cat when she picked it up literally inches from her cat? This isn't some, like, small little jumping spider. Like, this thing's the size of a fucking 50 cent piece, and she doesn't see it when she picks up her cat. But the, Sometimes the... you miss those things, you know? You're well, not expecting um... a giant spider. The next thing is, is that the spider descending on her hand is an excellent example of a locked off effect shot 
Like they have no movement to avoid fuck ups, but the spider descending on her hand as she switches off the light looks fake as fuck to this day. And that's not entirely <laughs> the fault of this movie. Like things like this that are extremely staged, like you know, prosthetic spider has to descend at this exact time when she's like switching off the light and it has to shut off just as the spider's landing. So that way there's like some mystery to it and you can kind of hide the fact that it's a rubber spider. But like to time all that, especially since it's a locked off shot, it just kind of like plays to being artificial. And because of that, mm. it still looks fake. And have CG back in the day, man. Yeah, well, I mean, it's 1990. They have the beginnings of shit, you know, like fucking Tron was 1985, <laughs> I think. Tron looked pretty good. I mean, you look at it now and it's like, yeah, yeah you know, all those matte painted cars and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Anything organic did not look good CG wise until basically Jurassic Park. I mean, just look at Under Siege too, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Jeff Daniels using a ram set in the basement to drive nails confuses me, right? Like, he drives a two-by-four into the wall, and it's revealed that the wood is brittle and doesn't hold the nail. But why the fuck is he nailing some <laughs> random two-by-four into his wall in the basement above his wine cellar? It's just like, it's this is like one of those plot exposition points that it doesn't need to be there, but they need to set it up <laughs> later for the third act. Right. I'm like, come on, man. And on top of the fact that he's using a fucking ram set, okay? You would <laughs> never use a ram set to drive nails into wood, okay? A ram set is used to drive nails or anchors into fucking concrete. And the <laughs> fact that this guy is, like, driving into the fucking wall is like, yeah. well, you're just kind of asking for Maybe that. Maybe he's dipshit. not carpentry isn't his thing and he but just why would he have a like, ram set bro like that's a very because he's rich tool why not just it's a buy very it? specific tool man <laughs> it's like oh i'm just gonna go to the store and get like uh i don't know like a fucking uh you probably know people that buy excessive tools for like bullshit reasons I yeah mean... my dad my dad does your dad have a ram set yeah, my dad's got a brand okay. dude. <laughs> well, you bought it. You might as well use it for whatever. Yeah, even if it's some stupid project that you don't need a ramp set for. But, dude, while it is possible that he did not know the wood was this brittle when he bought the house, I would think a home inspector could have seen evidence of this really fucking easily. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this. I think this was back before the whole... Uh, Whatchamacallit, all the protections built in to uh, home For buying homeowners. and everything. So Maybe. I don't know. Could have gotten swindled by his real estate agent, just like the whole fucking town swindles him. Fucking other doctor swindles him. It's like, oh, you know. Sure, sure. I'm going to quit. And then he comes in when he's supposed to start, and the dude's like, oh, no. Not leaving. Not going to retire. Yeah, he does the, uh, he does the uh, Jordan Belfort. I'm not fucking leaving. <laughs> <laughs> When she is discovered by Ross, old Doc is a prick and accuses him of medical malpractice, right? Like Margaret's found and like immediately old Doc is standing there and he's like, you must have fucking killed her by taking her off her fucking meds, blah, 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 blah. But like old Doc is being a prick could have been solved easily by the state medical board who would order the autopsy. Like this is a simple plot point that is being used to force the story. Like this is bad scripting, bro. <laughs> like mysterious death because the doctor says like, I'm going to report you to the medical board. You're going to lose your license. If he reported the medical board autopsy like that motherfucker, yeah. you know, like they would yeah. dig into that shit and prove that this guy's 
actions caused the death of the woman. But no, they just bury her the same fucking day, seemingly. <laughs> they're literally straight to the graveyard after they put the body in the gurney. Like, it's, it's fucking nuts. And they do this multiple times in the movie. It's like same day fucking funerals. And I'm like, what is going on? Is this like some fucking weird Peter Jackson movie that they need to bury the bodies immediately. Small town thing, I guess. Side note, small town bodies being buried reminded me, and it's because I'm obsessed with, you know, fucking Takashi Miike, but happiness of the Katakuris with like the fucking zombie (laughs) musical dance number. Classic movie, by the way. If you haven't seen it, man, check that shit out. It's probably Takashi's like most accessible movie, I would say, other than maybe 13 Assassins is happiness of the katakuris it's not that fucked up do not watch visitor q unless you have a strong (laughs) stomach because like goddamn or gozu for that matter the cork popping sound is locked (laughs) in my mind forever forever on the fucking having to inject him with heroin so he can withdraw that whole thing ah man In case you didn't know, we're talking about necrophilia. And, no, uh, no, don't tell him, dude. You got to fucking set him up for failure, man. Just watch the movie without any context. <laughs> and we can sit there as shocked as I was the first time that I saw it. Dude, John Goodman is fucking fantastic in this movie. Also, sorry about this two for two, John, with Speed Racer. You've been in some <laughs> bad movies. What can I say? But, yeah. dude, he's so good. Man, he's and, like, he's yeah. fucking fantastic in this movie. He's the one redeeming quality of this movie for me. But, dude, side note, my favorite bug guy in a movie ever is Christopher Walken in Mouse Hunt. Like, absolutely oh, classic fucking dude. role, man. He comes in as, like, that extension of his character from the Deer Hunter, and he's got, like, the fucking <laughs> shit on it. He, like, goes around, and he picks up that one mouse dropping, and he's, like, sniffing it and measuring it, and then he, like, fucking eats it. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's a great movie, by the way. I know it's terrible, and I know why it's terrible, but it's so good, yeah, dude. Yeah, it has fantastic. a lot of redeeming qualities to oh, yeah. push it up there to elevate it, for sure. <laughs> uh, not least of all for Nathan Lane, man. Like, Nathan yeah. Lane in that movie, when he's like st- when he loses his business and he's stuck at like the shorthand cook thing, <laughs> and he like s- somebody sends back the grilled cheese that's got the capers on it, he's like... <laughs> He rings the bell and he looks out amongst all the people. He's like, which one of you palletless sheep sent my sandwich back? <laughs> so good. Okay, so why why is there a full nude review of coughing basketball players in this movie? What does this test prove for Dr. Ross? If you don't know, by the way, the only, the only time that I think I've never gotten this test from a physical, okay, like ever. But the only context that I know about turn your head and cough is when you're fucking squatting on the ground in prison and they make you turn your head and cough in order for you to, like, loosen your anus so that way something falls out of your ass if you're, like, fucking hiding something in your ass. Like, that's the only context that I have. It's like him coming in and, like, literally all this basketball team, this high school basketball team who are fucking minors all stripped down to their ass and, like, they're standing there with their hands cupped over their balls and they're just, like, turning their head and coughing – what is this test? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the purpose is. I was asking myself that too, and <laughs> never had to do that for anyone either. Thankfully, no, and no, no. Yeah, maybe it's just a doctor hazing kind of thing, or maybe you know something passed down generation from generation. You know, <laughs> you got to see a bunch of adolescent nude dick before you get into this nice you know, doctor's <laughs> mansion. Dude, so the spider gets into Miller's helmet, and when Miller puts it on, he gets bit, right? But spiders are small, 
and squishy. Like, how did it not get mashed when it was in his helmet? Like, <laughs> football helmets fit really fucking tightly to your skull. Like, that's the whole point. Yeah. Well, and they cause brain concussions. There's usually, well, <laughs> I mean, there's like a liner and then the actual shell material, and maybe it climbed into the liner. Like but yeah, it doesn't make out. any sense that he would just like put it on and not crush it. Right. Whatever. But dude, again with the quick funerals in this movie, like this kid gets buried like the same day. It's like twenty four hour burials. I don't get it. But how is it that small town doctors think that autopsies are big city don't care about people procedures? Like this is basic medical science. (laughs) But no, they're like, Oh, you newfangled big city people, you know, believing in your autopsies and shit. I just go after, you know, you know, by fucking instinct, you don't need that shit in the big city. I mean, he is from what? He's like an old doctor. He's probably started his practice in like 1945 or something <laughs> like that. So, you know, autopsies probably weren't even a thing until the 70s or 80s. Like, I don't know. I feel like it was more common during that early period to have people cutting people up because they just wanted. I mean, there's like a fucking very real thing about medical science that they just wanted to cut people open. They're like, <laughs> oh, you know, like I, I got gout. And they're like, cut him open, cut him open. Just fucking open him up. I don't get yeah, that. It's laboratory surgery. That's all. Yeah. Oh, good, dude. Old dickhead doctor dies. Thank God for tender mercies in this movie. But Dr. Dickhead number two fires back at Ross when Ross reveals that Dr. Dickhead number one's wife told him that he was bitten by a spider before he died. Then Dr. Dickhead number two, with a fucking bolo tie on, by the way, says, quote, Sam told me about you. You're the hotshot doctor who won't accept anyone else's diagnosis, end quote. My question here is, Paul... What is the point of the fucking hostility here? Like, so far, Dr. Ross is the only guy who has examined the dead body, but Dr. Dickhead is giving him shit already about it. He's like, (laughs) he hasn't even fucking looked at the body yet. And he's like, you won't even accept my opinion. It's like, you didn't look at the fucking body yet. You know, like, you literally just showed up and you're like, oh, I'm going to piss all over you for no fucking reason. Are doctors in this town like the mob and they don't like other doctors coming into their corners? Is that what's going on here? Like, oh, I, I got a monopoly on this town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. Let me just wet my beak. Let me just wet my beak. <laughs> you just got to break me off a little something, you know, like shave the back of the scalp off and let me dry that out. You know, I got a collection of them for my wall here. <laughs> but, dude, why is the sheriff in this movie such a dick? Like, everyone in this movie overreacts and is a dick. <laughs> like, the sheriff's head in the scene when Dr. Ross tells the sheriff he wants the bodies of Margaret and football player Miller exhumed, he is literally bouncing his head around on his neck like this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, dude, like, what was the direction that Frank Marshall was giving this guy for him to do this shit? It's like he's having a fucking seizure as he's talking. A spider descends from the chandelier and the doll's eyes open. Like, this is a very different kind of movie here. <laughs> they just throw it in in the middle of this. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. You know, they're trying to establish a movie. Maybe uh, Frank Miller put in a bunch of little callbacks to some of his earlier movies that he worked on. I mean, you know, they got the Indiana Jones-like opening, the whole, like, spider web thing covered in mm-hmm. bugs kind of stuff like sure, temple of doom sure. i mean alfred molina skewered on the fucking thing at the beginning of raiders of the lost ark is pretty dope dude <laughs> he like runs around the corner <laughs> and he's like body comes out and he's all skewered 
Some good yeah, shit, man. I, I miss those PG-rated movies that have like R-rated violence. <laughs> it's like very common in like the mid '80s. Or like we were talking about previously about how PG-rated movies used to have tits in them. It was like full-on nudity in a PG movie, and it's like, what yeah. the fuck was happening back then, man? It's like the MPAA was just high on shit. I mean, don't get me wrong, okay? So like, I think it should actually go back to that like rating system, okay? Because like, there's a documentary called "Fuck" about like the uh, the origin of the word, right? And they literally talk to everyone that you could think of, from like comedians to Miss Manners to fucking pastors and evangelicals and like senators and shit like that. It's a great, great documentary. You got to check it out but they interview ron jeremy and ron jeremy is just like <laughs> nothing has ever he's the ambassador of yeah he's right like, nothing <laughs> nothing bad has ever happened from a human being being exposed to a female nipple like some guy doesn't see a female nipple and then go out and like shoot up an entire fucking mall full of people and be like i saw tits when i was eight and it fucked me up like nobody says that shit like just Free the nipple already, people. Like, hashtag free the nipple. Fuck all of you that don't like that kind of shit. You want to breastfeed in public, ladies? Do it. It is your right. You know, people shouldn't be so fucking squirmed out by that kind of shit. We see a couple of spiders. One of them, who has a very large egg pouch traveling behind it, wandering through <laughs> an open barred window into Dr. Ross's basement. You'd figure a man who's scared of spiders would not have this very easy entry point in his <laughs> home for fucking bugs, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you know, like his barred little window on his basement, again, this is a very different kind of movie. Like you have a basement with a little barred window. Something's going on that's a lot different. You know, this is Hills Have Eyes territory at this point, but... Why does a junior researcher need permission from the head honcho researcher to quarantine the town? Like, wouldn't that be a Department of Health call? Like, researcher in another town doesn't carry much weight to make governmental administrative decisions like that. But for him to be like, oh, we got to quarantine the town, like calling the head researcher. What the fuck is going on here? Like, he doesn't have the fucking, you know, ability to do that. No power to do that. I mean, you throw the head researchers, like, uh, clout behind telling people that have to be quarantined, then, I don't know. But he still can't make sense. that call, you know, like, that's well, the he mayor has to, like, or the fucking I mean, he's not gonna, he's not gonna do it, but you gotta get this guy saying there's this deadly spider that, yeah, it has really significant impacts, and then <laughs> you call the Department of Agriculture or whatever. Right, right, right. You know, sure. Department of Defense for these spiders, man. These are <laughs> Obviously, you need to bring in the National Guard spiders. for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> if, they, if they had the big showdown sequence and the National Guard showed up just like mowing the fucking town down with automatic weapons, that would be <laughs> Flamethrowers and automatic flame weapons. Throwing, yeah, yeah. You know, they could have had a scene similar to that scene in uh, Family Guy when they go over in order to exterminate the fleas out of the house and it's all those commandos like shooting up the Griffin's house and like throwing grenades and shit like that inside of the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but dude, big ass tarantula on Dr. Ross's wall, but he rolls up a magazine to squash it. Like I'd grab a book or something like that or like a fucking <laughs> giant shoe or something, but he's got like that tiny magazine that he rolls it up like a bat, and I'm like, oh, great, okay, yeah, whatever. This guy obviously isn't really scared of spiders because you'd pull out your fucking handgun at that point and blast that motherfucker on the wall. It doesn't matter if you put a <laughs> hole in it. What kind of scumbag cop uses the Sir 
porch of a dead woman's house as an opportunity to get a snack. Like this fat <laughs> fuck is sitting there like eating a snack in a dead woman's house. I mean, the cereal's already open. It's going to go stale otherwise. Might as well Obviously, just have a snack. snack. Right? <laughs> right. Hungry policing is tough business, man. You gotta, sure, sure. You gotta eat on your feet. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What else are you gonna do? But the girl showering scene, like the fucking spider leaps onto her <laughs> face, and somehow she doesn't feel it. Like, how the fuck does she not feel the spider web in her hands as she adjusts the shower head? Like, this girl just has no sense of touch. Apparently, I think that's part of the primal fear that this thing goes up in. You know, like. You're reaching into a dark hole, but you're not sure what you're feeling, and you're just, like, imagining what you're touching. Just same thing, like, being in the shower, your face is covered in soap or something, you know, reaching, flailing around, can't see anything. <laughs> what if a spider just jumped on you? Oh, my God. I don't know about you, but, like, when I'm in the shower, my eyes are open for a majority of it. You know, like, I don't... <laughs> I don't close my eyes for as long as this girl does while she's in the fucking shower, but whatever. Maybe you're right. Dude, while, <laughs> while close John, your eyes for the soap, man. Yeah, for the soap, but then you wash your face like right away, you know, like you're well, not she fucking just, standing there. She, let's break down the scene. She just starts washing her hair and that's when the spider attack happens, all right? So your eyes will be closed in this situation. So there you go. There you go. Sure. <laughs> While John Goodman's face-off with the spider is funny B-movie type shit, his line, that's right, I'm bad, is pretty awful. Like, I'm going <laughs> to minus a point off of him for this because this is a bad, bad What if we line. put in, like, a Flintstones laugh track at that moment? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, John Goodman, I'm not sure if John Goodman is trying to do, like, a Ash in the Evil Dead type thing going on here, but like it's not a good enough line, and he doesn't sell it as well as Ash does in the Evil Dead Two. But you know, it is what it is. I mean, it's funny because he's really not bad. He's yeah. not that cool, but you know, he thinks he is because he killed one spider. You know? Yeah. Listen to me, all you primitive screwheads. This is my boomstick. <laughs> <laughs> That's a classic line. But, dude, who watches Wheel of Fortune with this much enthusiasm? <laughs> I, know, I know that this is supposed to be generic small town, but I don't know if I've ever met anyone quite like this. Do you know I mean, anybody that watches television shows or, like, you know, fucking uh, game shows like this? Not game. Well, okay. Just pick any random show, and there's going to be a super fan for it somewhere, right? <laughs> Who just enjoys every moment of their, their Wheel of Fortune half hour, even the commercials. Or like bronies, every... you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So just they're, they're on the edge of the bell curve there as far sure. as television sure. viewers, but they that's their time, man, you know? <laughs> That's their show. That's their time. They make they make it a make it a thing, you know. So, yeah. But Deus Ex Machina, <laughs> motherfucker, head honcho researcher sees the photo on Doctor Ross's wall showing the spider web that oh, Doctor Ross's sure. wife Molly took and says to fat ass sheriff, "Take me there." <laughs> How did the cop know the photo of the spider web was taken at the Ross's home? Like it's a fucking spider web, and these people just mm. moved into the town. How did he know that? How did he oh, know that Doctor Ross's wife was a photographer? How did he know that? Well, I mean, if he went to the uh, the mixer party at the, the kind of the point of the movie. <laughs> he there. wasn't there. Yeah, he probably wasn't. 
unless he's whatever. Like, it's a small um, town. It gets it gets around. I mean, you know, everyone <laughs> knows about the these new people and everything about them. Unless everything he's like squeeze John Belushi in Animal House with the ladder. Like. Oh. <laughs> 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 oh man, you know, in retrospect, that movie has a lot of fucked up, like oh, yeah. you know, sexual assault shit in it. But it's like. Oh. I'm sorry. Like that movie's hilarious, man. It's still fucking good. <laughs> it's a uh, part of American culture. Just think about it like yeah. that, you know, for good or bad. I mean, the pimple <laughs> line in uh, in fucking Animal House is probably my favorite moment when he's sitting there and he's like shoving all the food in his mouth and he eats that big cup of mayo and then he's like, <laughs> "Guess what I am?" <laughs> so good, dude. The the fake rat, cat, and bat in the web in the barn in this movie looks fake as fuck. I'm sorry, it's cheap prop work, man. Yeah, like it's just not good. Uh, yeah. Well, why mm. though does the lead researcher have to play with the web? Like he's sitting there and he's like flicking the signal line, saying like <laughs> "dinner's served," and then he's surprised by the spider jumping in to bite him. But, like, the spider is, like, flying across this, the fucking barn for a while, and this guy doesn't think to duck or move or anything like that. He just turns to camera and screams in camera as they dolly in. Sure. It's a sure, stealthy sure. spider, man. Yeah, obviously. But why did the spiders wait until Dr. Ross and the junior researcher were in the house looking in order to show themselves? <laughs> like, seems convenient for the plot and all. You know, they're looking around and only then when they're acting weird and the family's like, what are you doing? Then the spiders start coming out. <laughs> come on, come on. You got to give me that one, man. Like, you can't defend that shit. Like, that's just bad screenwriting right there. No, it's great screenwriting. It's <laughs> building the tension. Yeah, you know the end spider sequence in the fucking house is actually pretty good. Like it's it's entertaining. Yeah, it's that like makes weird, my skin like... crawl right there when there's just <laughs> thousands of spiders coming from every orifice of the house, <laughs> behind every surface. I'd really be worried yeah. about that, man. Like uh, yeah. somebody was just telling me at work that when they they're like aunt's house or whatever when she died they like opened up the wall of this house when they were trying to like renovate it to sell it. And, like, when they were near the wall, they could feel heat coming off of it. And they knew that there weren't any, like, heat pipes or anything going through. So they opened it up. And basically this whole wall, this 10 by 8 wall, was full of bees. Like, this giant fucking yeah. beehive. And I was like, wow, man, that's actually, like, kind of awesome. But also, like, terrifying. I feel like just the sound, because you can hear them, yeah. you know? The sound, uh, I mean, the woman was deaf and like in her 80s, so she probably didn't hear it, but I feel like you could hear it. Like, if you maybe she had a special house. relationship. She's like, oh, that's my house heater, something yeah. like that. You or know? you just jam would... a fucking tap into the bottom of the wall and pour out honey from it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be dope, dude. You're like, watch this. Yeah. You just like, it's a good party trick. You jam the tap in the wall and turn it on. Yeah. There's like honey coming out of your walls. Like People that, might yeah. think your fucking house is possessed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but you know fucking john goodman showing up with the gas mask and saying rock and roll it's party time is pretty fucking good like in the worst <laughs> way possible it's pretty good he's talking about his organic like chemicals that are right, good right, for right. the earth and then he like pulls out the real stuff his like special <laughs> stash right, of, like, right, right. acidic like obviously russian chemical <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, his war crimes 
type uh, <laughs> shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's good. I like that. But dude, I know Doctor Ross is panicking about being in the house with all these spiders and all. But for him to take a nosedive off the second floor landing seems pretty stupid. Like, especially given the setup <laughs> earlier of his floor being made of bad wood, just in case someone were to fall through the floor and into the basement with the giant pulsating egg in the corner. Yeah, it seems pretty convenient. You know? This all right. So once it's set up that scene like there's so many things that pay off that they set up in the movie <laughs> like you've got the floor that's broken you've got his love of wine so he <laughs> can't throw the one bottle of the chateau you know he's got he's got the nail gun he's got all this stuff it's all set up it's all ready to go yeah yeah it's pretty awesome that's a good way to, you know, I'm you can a, a, you can guess that it's it's going to play in a role in the movie, but the way they wrap it all up, it's pretty I'm going to strike that right. down point by point here. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the spider getting stuck to the fuses and exploding goo out of it is pretty juicy, <laughs> but. Are spiders conductive like that? Like, besides the fact that most fuses have protective ceramic tops so people don't get electrocuted like this, like, this is the old screw tap fuses, you know? Yeah, screw tap fuses, but he did shoot the spider with the nail that No, 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 that's, that's not, Could've... that's not this moment. When he shoots the spider with the oh, nail is when it's on fire and he lights the fucking egg on fire with it. <laughs> That's right. Okay. This is just he whacks the motherfucker and it flies into the circuit panel okay. and it like explodes okay. from... That's just a movie moment of touching the electrical panel and bursting into flames like in every other <laughs> in every other movie. Yeah, okay. Marv in Home Alone touching the arc welder that's hooked up to the fucking sink and like turning into a skeleton for a second as he's being electrocuted. <laughs> like that kind of shit, but still somehow surviving. Yeah. Like, dude, his arm would blow off. <laughs> <laughs> but dude, Jeff Daniels is a fucking klutz. Like at every turn during his climactic fight, he is literally fighting the spider like it's a 240-pound attacker. Even somehow <laughs> pinning him under his own fucking wine rack like how fucking stupid i mean he did fall through uh his floor from the second floor of his house you know he's but probably he's flailing a around man he's yeah, flailing yeah. around like it's punching him it's, it's got like... a concussion <laughs> it's lucky to be standing but dude the slow crawl of the spider toward him like this is that stupid mano a mano shit i talked about in under siege oh, yeah. too like it's crawling towards him and he's like looking it's the shot reverse shot like moment i'm like right. get the fuck out of here and he just like oh. so happens to be able to lift it up at a later moment. He gets the wine rack off of him. But at this moment when he really needs to, when the fucking adrenaline is going, he can't lift up the wine rack just in case the movie needs to build tension in this way. But I mean, see, and they also, they, they bring back his whole story of being paralyzed with fear as a child. <laughs> and he's paralyzed again when the spider's crawling up his leg. But instead of oh. just, letting it crawl on him he like flings it through the air with this like little seesaw like no man yeah, yeah, yeah. On, that's no. good that's good <laughs> but when the spider <laughs> leaps out and attacks him there's a full five seconds of him struggling with the thing like flailing around <laughs> like <laughs> like it's a fucking tough guy he's fending off in an alley complete with his being his literal being thrown or rather him tossing himself into a wall and damn near knocking himself out <laughs> This is what I'm saying about the klutz thing. Is it's like 
He's got this tiny spider. Even though he's panicked and he's freaking out about how deadly it is, it jumps on him. But he fucking like fights with it. It's not holding on. You know what I mean? It's not. Doesn't have fucking claws like the fucking uh, reapers in Blade Two, where they like spear themselves into your back and like hold on. Spiders have like little microscopic claws on their legs. Sure, sure, absolutely. Things, so. But you know yeah, what? Hooked onto a shirt. Grasshoppers yeah. have microscopic claws too, and I can flick those motherfuckers off pretty easily <laughs> off of my skin. All right. If you've got a one-pound spider on your chest, are you going to try to <laughs> flick it with your finger? No. <laughs> no. I'm gonna. You know what I'm going to do is my first instinct is to fucking swing my arm and smash the motherfucker into my chest in order to try to kill it. That's what I'm going to do first. I'm not even going to try to get it off of me. I'm just going to try to kill the motherfucker, especially since he's scared of these things. But, dude, the spider gets launched into a fire and comes running out on fire and screaming <laughs> as it leaps toward him in a final attack attempt. Jeff Daniels shoots his fucking ram set and not only nails the flying spider on the first <laughs> shot, but the nail... And Flaming Spider happened to be in line with the fucking egg sack, which lights a flame with the Flaming Spider as he shot it. What the fuck? Seriously. It all just lined up perfectly in order oh, for him and to then, do it. And then the egg sack explodes in a pussy, gory mess. That's... The abdomen pops in a pretty bad way, too. <laughs> but, dude, I, I want to talk about the hack attack, okay? Hack attack of the week. Oh, shit. Cut. To the moment that they move back to San Fran and they experience an earthquake, right? <laughs> but before they move and are affected by the earthquake, before they actually move and react to it, the fucking yeah. trans light, the backdrop outside the window when they shoot in a studio, fucking waves and moves first. Like you can see <laughs> the city waving like a piece of paper before the fucking set starts <laughs> rattling. And I'm like, this is fucking awful. Like for a $22 million movie, this is really fucking bad, dude. Like really bad. Well, I mean, uh, you know, some earthquakes you can actually see coming because the uh, speed of uh, the S wave traveling along the ground, you could see that, you know, don't, the city in the distance shaking. Don't, don't, defend, don't <laughs> defend this. Don't defend this. But, dude, the pop song plays as we roll credits to the first line <laughs> of the right. song. Don't bug me. And it continues. <laughs> don't squish me. I can spin a web and I can spin a tail. God damn it, this original song is fucking horrendous. Yeah. But then the song continues and says, eight <laughs> legs and one pea brain. Sounds like the writers of this movie uh. and their fucking collective brain capacity. <laughs> Fuck all of you. And worst of all, you know what? It's fucking Jimmy Buffett, dude. Fuck you, Jimmy Buffett. You fucking suck. All right? That's it. Oh, man. This is a classic original <laughs> song for a 90s movie. I mean... <laughs> you know, whatever happened to all the movies and their original songs at the end, whatever movie it was, they had to have an original know, song. And, I mean, it was a big thing with action movies and, and romances, yeah. especially action movies and romances, actually. It was like yeah. the movies to write original songs for. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's a good question. It's a lost art now. I mean, did Dances with Wolves have an original song? I'm trying to remember. Because that was 1990. That was the same year, and it was a historical epic. I don't know. I don't and Braveheart didn't have one, obviously. Did Imagine it? Braveheart had one, and they were like singing about like <laughs> naked blue men. And <laughs> oh, man. And him honoring his dead wife by fucking the princess. 
Classic move, yeah. Mel. <laughs> fucking scumbag. <laughs> fucking grave isn't even cold yet. And you're already banging some other broad. Uh, she would have wanted him to move on, you know? Sure. I mean, in the life expectancy <laughs> of medieval times is like, what, 25? Yeah. So, right. yeah, they were probably, what, 17 when they were banging? So. Yeah. And, I mean, plus they had to have that line uh, with the king on his deathbed when the princess right. tells right. him that she's pregnant. Dude, how great is that movie, man? Holy yeah, shit, right. that movie's <laughs> Holy fuck, that movie's great. Yeah. I love that movie, yeah. man. You know what I got this week on uh, on 4K, speaking of original songs? Uh, they came out with the 35th anniversary edition of um, Back to the Future, the trilogy on 4K. Oh, nice. And, yeah. like, just thinking about how great that song is from Huey Lewis in the News, like, the power of love and how fucking yeah. fantastic it fits into that movie. <laughs> oh, man. Great, great filmmaking there by Robert Zemeckis, man. I can't overstate how much I love the first fucking Back to the Future movie. All three of them, actually, man. I mean, the second one yeah. is kind of like the middling one for me, but the third one with like the old West shit and all the references oh. to Clint Eastwood. See, I think the second one is probably the best one. Why? It has Dude. like the double time paradox where they're time traveling back in time to meet themselves who have traveled back right, in time. Right, right. That is pretty dope. That is pretty dope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, they, I mean, they take the whole like paradox thing to its limit in that one side note i'm sure that you know this paul but like back to the future 2 robert zemeckis openly admitted that the character of biff tannen being the way that he is in the alternate reality was literally his vision of if donald trump became president he based it on that <laughs> it does fit it does fit yeah it fits perfectly man i'm like even as the fucking awful hairdo and i'm like oh my god you know like if we had just you know, when listened. when i watch uh American Psycho now, I think of Patrick Bateman as Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> it kind of takes on a different like tone to the whole movie hmm. and like makes the ending make more sense too. So it's like he's not held accountable. His dad just like secretly swept everything under the rug. <laughs> so he doesn't even know if he's going insane or if he actually killed all those people. But right. he did and his dad just cleaned it up for him. There you go. <laughs> Oh, man, how great is that movie, man? I love American Psycho. (laughs) (laughs) That is, like, for real, man, like one of those real wonders of film history because, like, I've told you this before, but, like, the book, you've read the book, it's, like, amazingly misogynistic, right? Like, absolutely misogynistic toward women. It was derided and lambasted by everybody when it came out, but it became this, like, cult phenomenon because of how fucked up it is and then they wanted to make it into a movie and like they couldn't get it financed but then they attached a female director and a female screenwriter who are both like huge feminist like filmmakers and whatnot mm-hmm. and like the the woman who wrote the script is like a lesbian feminist and like yeah. to have her adapt that like extremely fucking misogynistic <laughs> book into what it became is really like one of those real head scratchers in film history because it's like I know that they're making fun of like the male gaze and like masculinity and especially toxic masculinity in that movie, but it's just like it's so fucking weird to me, man. Like I think <laughs> about it and I'm like, damn. Like I really do want to talk to yeah. both of them about it one day and just be like, how did you pitch this, man? Like I, I want to know how you <laughs> pitched this in order to make this fucking movie. It's crazy. Anyway, dear listeners, that was Arachnophobia, 1990. 
I'm not going to say that this is a complete pile of shit because I do enjoy it for what it is, but at the same time, I think it's a bad movie. But I enjoy it in the same way that I enjoy like Dante's Peak in that way. I'm not going to say yeah. that it's a great movie, but I'm going to say that it's entertaining. And it's definitely better than Congo, I'll tell you that. It has a higher Rotten Tomatoes score than Tenet. I know, I know. It's fucking <laughs> crazy. So- that's why I you said, know. dude, fuck Rotten Tomatoes, man. It's got a higher <laughs> rating than fucking... Dude, it's got the same rating within one point of Schindler's List. No! <laughs> no! That's not how this works. Stop. Stop it. Uh... This is going back to the objectivity thing, right? Like, okay, you love a movie. Yeah, yeah. But be objective, man. You know, like, fucking be objective and be honest this isn't a 100% scoring movie, motherfucker. You know, like. Well, I think Rotten Tomatoes algorithm works. It's more like if it's a positive review, whether it's a two and a half star or three or four star movie, it, goes it counts as a positive. Yeah. Yeah. A one so versus a zero. A 90% positive movie on Rotten Tomatoes could still be a two and a half, like 56% on Metacritic or whatever. <laughs> right, you know? right, right, right. And that makes sense with the 67% on Metacritic with this movie. That makes sense. Yeah. But I mean, fuck their algorithm and fuck their, you know, arithmetic (laughs) bullshit, whatever they're doing in order to aggregate the score. It's not, it's not okay, man. Like unfuck yourself, Rotten Tomatoes, because (laughs) fucking Birds of Prey is not worth a 78 fucking percent. (laughs) Fuck you. It's not certified fresh, bitch. That's not how this works. There really aren't that many spider movies out there, and I think this is probably the best one out there, unless you can <laughs> think of a spider movie. Uh, I mean, not off the top of my head. Eight-Legged Freaks with yeah, uh, David Arquette. Yeah, David Arquette. Arquette. That's a piece of shit. Dude, there's a new Tremors movie on Netflix. You see that shit? What? No. Yeah, dude, there's a new Tremors movie that just came out today on Netflix. That's the other thing I got to watch this weekend is I got to watch the new Tremors flick, man. But check out Bora, dude. I want to hear what you got to say about Bora. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to watch it probably tomorrow. Good to see him again, man. It really is. Anyway, you got anything else you want to try to defend this movie about, Paul? Because, you know, like, no, just I, 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 know, I know you dig it. For man. the flaming, screaming spider, it's worth the price of admission. <laughs> That's what really got you, huh? For real, is the flaming, screaming spider. That's what got you. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, uh, I think it's well-crafted. It has, uh, you know, the typical spider thing, but then there's also the small-town politics kind of action going on. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh... You know, kind of a cliched, kind of boring screenplay <laughs> at some points, but uh, flaming, screaming spider. Do you know what's his name from uh, Mythbusters? It's the first movie he uh, worked on. Jamie, oh, sure. I can name? see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he made the spider. Oh, he yeah. Spider. Yeah, he also made the uh, the 7-Up tracked vehicle that shot 7-Up cans <laughs> up. Fucking dope, dude. Those guys have like those guys are awesome, by the way. Like I love Jamie Heineman and fucking uh, Adam Savage. Like those guys are awesome. I miss MythBusters. I really do. If you have some time, viewer or listeners, listen to Adam Savage's speech at the Reason Rally in Washington D.C. Listen to him speak about religion and personal accountability, and tell me 
that he is not <laughs> one of the smartest people that you've heard speak. I was just like, bro, like this guy, man. I mean, it's no wonder he's a fucking nerd. You know what I mean? Like he's thought about this shit at length for a long time. And he's like very rational. And I'm like, we need rational people in society. Yeah. Like that's what we need. We need people to stop reacting off of emotion. Like me every week where I react off of emotion from movies. <laughs> I can't be rational about things. <laughs> anyway, so Paul, looking in next week, man, I like I said it before we started recording, like I want to move up the island of Dr. Moreau, man. That that, that I, think, movie. I, I think I want to do that one too. Yeah, it's been a long time. I think I saw it as a kid, and I even knew then that it was a horrible movie <laughs> and just a goddamn mess. Yeah, uh, but at the same time, fucked up and uh, kind of interesting. So yeah. <laughs> watch at some watch. point i i know that we're gonna end up wandering across a leslie nielsen movie because like leslie <laughs> made a lot of bad ones at the end of his career uh, yeah. but you know i mean i i love that man dude he is just he's such a fucking class act I, I i still quote why do, you, him. why do you bring up leslie nielsen is he in that movie no 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 no. it just it reminded me of like you know val kilmer and like top secret and then i was thinking about top secret and uh, Zucker Brothers. Okay. And, all right all right yeah all right. yeah you know it's a, yeah that was a bit of a stretch there actually so. <laughs> it's <laughs> it a leap just, i didn't follow that, that, but that, all right it makes that, sense now that was me shifting into fifth without pressing the clutch i just kind of jammed yeah. it and <laughs> <laughs> That's what I call not pressing the conversational clutch. My brain works that way sometimes, especially with movies. Once again, listeners, that was Arachnophobia. I, I don't entirely hate this movie, but I do not. I cannot recommend this because <laughs> it's, it's too, it's too it's cheesy great. and cornbally and 90s. Yeah. Oh, so, so good. You know, I, it, their 90s clothes weren't 90s enough for me, I think. I, you know, oh, that's no? one thing. That's, Why they didn't have the uh, uh, multicolored windbreakers on? Yeah, yeah. It was a, they, they were missing something in the early 90s. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Too plain. But I mean, there weren't any. Even teenage, the hair, man. Yeah. Yeah. There I weren't don't any, like, any teenage 90s girls in this movie, though, you know? So, like, the teenage girls or teenage boys in this movie would have had that style. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of that. But, yeah, there was no Diana Ross perms going on. Or, you know, there wasn't any Jerry Curl going on. <laughs> These are just simple country folk, though, you know? Yeah, yeah, maybe they aren't. They haven't caught up to the Jerry Curl slash perm wave of the big city people. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for that, man. Like, if I had to see another Diana Ross haircut in my lifetime, I would probably scream. It's coming back, man. Oh, God, please, back. No. please no. <laughs> please no. <laughs> Anyway, thank you guys for joining us. Once again, this is the Movie Dicks Podcast. I'm Gabriel Chavez. And I'm Paul Shadow. Thank you guys. Have a good night.